everybody. Welcome to MHTV. We've got a fantastic session today, one that's really interesting and a very lovely guest. So before we introduce her, let's just go to Dave so that he can tell you how you can join in today if you have any questions. Dave? Hi, Nikki. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's great to have you all joining in tonight. So as always, there's a couple of ways to join in live. The first is by posting a message on the Facebook live feed. Uh, the second is by uh, posting on Twitter and just using the hashtag MHTV. We'll be keeping an eye out for both of those uh, and hopefully bringing some of your questions, comments, thoughts, feelings into tonight's conversation. But without further ado, straight back to you, Nikki. Okay. So tonight we're going to be talking about, here's the proper title for you, sickle cell, invisible disability, as real as the oxygen you breathe. So we'll be talking about all things uh, sickle cell and that experience. And so our guest tonight is Jada. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Jada? Good evening, everyone. So I am Jada, as Nikki has said. I'm 23 years old, currently a student officer at Middlesex University. I'm very interested in all things personal development, youth work, education. Um, yeah, and I have sickle cell anemia. So before we get started, I think there will be people maybe who know, who've heard of it, but maybe don't know what it is. Could you tell us just a little bit about sort of like a layman's introduction to, to what is the situation with sickle cell? Definitely. So sickle cell anemia is a disease that involves the blood. So the blood cells, the red blood cells become crescent shaped, which affects their ability to travel with oxygen around the body. And so when they get to the joints or sometimes the hips, the back, whatever it may be, it can cause excruciating pain for the individual um, concerned. So with that being said, the pain can then limit the individual's ability to mobilize, do things for themselves independently and can affect their mental health and so on and so forth. Mm. Absolutely. So it's a, it's a genetic disease. It's a disease that's passed through generations. Um, and basically what it means is that it, in, under some circumstances, and I'm jumping and tell me if I'm right or wrong here, but so extreme cold, stress, things like that, uh, changes in altitude, things like that can actually provoke what we call crisis, which is where... Um, the oxygen is just not is not just being passed around properly, and it actually causes sort of blockages, sometimes swellings, and sometimes um, really, really severe pain. Have I missed anything out yeah. there in terms of the actual? No, physical that is, yeah, that's everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess one of the things we're really interested in, because obviously we mostly talk about mental health and well-being and things like that here, is is so what's the experience with you know obviously growing up having having um having a long-term health condition that comes and goes maybe when you're younger you don't fully understand about it I guess I'd like to take you back to the start of that experience because I think it's really helpful for nurses and people who are students and student nurses to understand what the experience of having a long-term health condition can be like so obviously I'm not asking you to speak for everybody but for yourself when did you first realize that you had something that, that made you different sometimes from some of your colleagues some of your students. Um, so of course, as you've explained, it is hereditary. So obviously mm -hmm. I was born with it, but it's not really, I would say, until I was in primary school that I began to understand exactly what it meant or to see how it really impacted me. So aside from the health crises where I would be in pain or sick, I also began to notice that I would receive different treatments. So in terms of school, if I started primary school, there was a healthcare plan 
And that basically dictated what I could and could not do in order to benefit my health and mm. to ensure that, you know, the school were able to support me and stop me from becoming sick to the best of their ability. Um, but with that came, you know, many different types of treatment. So you got the positive treatment where you had teachers who were very empathetic, very aware and made sure that they did do everything that they could to support you. Mm. But then you also had teachers who may have been a bit more ignorant. Mm. And so they didn't necessarily... They may have followed the care plan, but they would have imposed their prejudice, whether it was consciously or subconsciously. And then that would then impact the way I felt emotionally, mentally, and how I viewed myself. Because often mm. at times, you know, um, staff and my peers could have made me feel like, you know, I was attention seeking or as if though I thought I was special than the next person. But really, it was just that I have this disease, I have to live with it, and this is what I need in order to be mm. able to do so, you know, to mm. give myself the best quality of life. So, um, yeah, I think it was primary school where my journey of sickle cell or my understanding of my journey of sickle cell began. And, you know, mm. as I continued to get through education in secondary school, I remember the same kind of treatment where you had some teachers who were very empathetic and then others mm. who didn't really understand. But I think, you know, one key experience I always remember is in primary school in year six, every I don't know Tuesday the whole class would go on a swimming trip mm. but I would be stuck in school um sitting in a, on a year five class and that was you know mm. because as Nikki explained cold mm. can be a trigger to sickle cell crisis as well as um, physical exertion so mm. in order to prevent that for myself of course as a part of my healthcare plan it was that I wouldn't attend and I would do something different but as a child I didn't necessarily understand that or understand why I was being kept back I just mm. knew it was because I have you know this thing called sickle cell um, but as I've grown older I've come to understand it better and understand that okay it was just to mm. you know prevent myself from falling ill and to keep my health mm. as best as it could be really. Mm. Mm. And it's, well, it's one of the things you're talking about, sort of, sort of reasonable adjustments, isn't it? Which is something that a lot of people working in health and social care will have their head around. And, and on one hand, they, they, and it's particularly, I would say, from kind of a student and, and caring perspective, is it's all about making sure that people get it. But I don't think people always realise how it feels to be offered reasonable adjustments. I mean, it's great, it's important. But I think when you're a kid and all you want is to be like everybody else, it can be really stressful, really sort of, um, yeah, feel quite up unfair almost in some ways and one of the things we're talking about is having a locker because obviously you need a coat um and some teachers will be very understanding and responses if you're wearing a coat and other people will like tell you off and then your mm. colleagues or other students wouldn't necessarily understand particularly if they're little kids um if you're being treated differently even if they're your friend they might not always understand yeah There's i think it difference. can be very yeah, it can be very isolating at times mm. because, you know, you have all of these rules that apply just to you. Mm. But um, I think that's where the importance of awareness comes in and people being educated about sickle cell because it's only mm. through that understanding that you'll be able to offer support but offer it genuinely without any prejudice or, you know, subconscious mm. or conscious mm. treatment that makes the individual concerned in a type of way. But, yeah, with lockers, mm. I think it was... You know, from the physical exertion where you go to school, especially in secondary school, you have 101 books for every different yeah. subject. And then your backpack is just crazy heavy. Then you've got yeah. a secondary school that's three floors high. And, you know, you've got the lift, yeah. but it doesn't really work. 
Um, so yeah, they would give you a locker to try and make things easier. But you know, your peers can sometimes look at you like, why have you got a locker and I don't? Not mm-hmm. understanding that it's because I've got a disease and you don't sort of thing. So they see yeah. the positive or what mm. seems like an incentive, but they don't really understand that, you know, it's just because I have this disease that impacts me in a very negative mm. way. So yeah, I think that's where awareness is very important. And, you know, it's not sickle cell isn't something that's taught in secondary school or primary school. So mm. you can't really blame the children, their children to begin with, but at least if, you know, you were teaching them, you could then have a certain expectation of support that they would offer their peers or, you know, mm. an understanding and then expect a certain type of treatment. But mm. I guess it comes down to the system and also society to just, you know, educate one another and also take the time to be self-informed. Mm. And is there any particular populations that are prone to getting sickle cell? Is so it, it has been said that it's Africans and Caribbeans mm. um, that mm. are more prone, yeah, mm. that are more prone to getting the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it pretty much has stayed within that because it is hereditary. Mm. But at the same time, I, I wouldn't, I don't want to be ignorant. I'm not too mm. sure to what other you know cultures it extends to but mm. yeah i definitely know africans and mm. caribbeans yeah um, and that's another thing isn't it so anyone living and working in london should have an understanding of this experience it, it's, it's the bog standard experience that happens to people who are londoners from all over the mm. world people come live in this place and there are certain illnesses and experiences that we have that are different so it's really important i think for anybody living and working in this area to have some understanding of of what it's like to have this health condition. So yeah. I think it's really interesting what you're saying as well. With like to some extent, kids are kids, aren't they? Yeah. But when with a teacher, it's one thing to be just following a plan. It's quite another thing to be using your empathy and your common sense to be able to actually make sure that plan is actually helpful. Because you can follow a plan in a way that actually just makes somebody less comfortable instead of doing something that actually supports somebody to be well as well as they can be. So we've looked at sort of like that kind of like young and early childhood experience. Um, how about when you started to get a bit older in terms of like emotional relationships and things like that? How does it how does it impact there? Um, I think definitely, you know, as you get older, you become to, well, you develop a greater understanding as to how it affects you as an individual. So for mm. me, I learned what works for me, what triggers me, um, you know, the best way to respond to a crisis when I feel it coming on and you know Mm. how to take care of myself but I think when it comes to my relationships and you know the emotional relationships it becomes a bit more tricky to navigate because it's no longer just about me understanding me but it's also now about understanding how I communicate with others and how I'm going to respond to you know whether they're ignorant or understanding and have that awareness um but definitely you know at this stage in life where you know I'm in a relationship or been in past relationships whatever it may be um there now becomes an element of educating the person that you're with which can sometimes be uncomfortable because it's now like okay this is a vulnerable thing that I'm about to share with you I'm not too sure how you're going to respond but then it's also I mean of course it's optional but it's not really optional because I wouldn't want to put myself in a position whereby I'm with this person that I'm with and they're unaware and they become aware only when I have a crisis around them because 
Mm. They're not going to know how to support me. They're going to be in shock, you mm. know, depending as mm. to whether they're aware of sickle cell or not. So, yeah, mm. it's just, it takes a lot of self-growth. I have to mm. start with myself, you know, educate myself about, you know, not everyone. I have to understand that not everyone is aware of what sickle cell is. And, you know, even if someone is aware, they may only be aware as to how it affects people that they've encountered with it. And for everyone, sickle cell can affect them differently. So I still have to have that conversation as to how it affects me and, you know, um, how I would like for them to support me and what it may be. And not everyone is receptive of that, you know. Not everyone is going to be willing to be in a relationship with someone who has a disease like a sickle cell because it can be very demanding if I was to mm. fall ill so um yeah it takes it takes a lot of mental strength a lot of emotional strength to be bold and courageous to have the conversations but also to be accepting of whatever response I get whether that is someone who is mm. willing to offer support or mm. someone who doesn't want to deal with it because everyone has a choice at the end of the day mm. so yeah but I'm, I think when it comes to friendships it can be a bit easier because I have friends who thankfully are very well educated about yeah. sickle cell but yeah. they're also educated as to how it affects me so not only do they know what it is but they they're aware of my triggers because we've been mm. friends for long enough mm. and they're also friends who thankfully can compromise so for mm. example if we're on a car journey together I feel the car's quite cold but they feel it's quite hot they would still put themselves in a position where they'll turn up mm. the heat and because they're that quality of friend where they wouldn't want me to get sick so you know it has it has it's good times and it's bad times in terms of how it can affect mm. me emotionally but generally I think the most important thing I always tell myself and my siblings that have the disease also is it starts with us and you know it ends with mm. us so Whoever, whichever company I keep, I wouldn't keep company that is not willing to support me because that yeah. means that if I am around you when I'm sick, I'm pretty much alone mm. in that situation. So I wouldn't keep mm. that kind of company. But where mm. I do have company that is very supportive, yeah, mm. it's it, it's actually a, it makes you feel good that you know you're loved by people who yeah. are good people. So yeah, there's always two sides to it. But it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because it's a demand that perhaps other types of friendships don't necessarily bring. I mean, everybody brings their own issues, don't they? And that's just life. But I think because this is such a distinct thing and such a personal thing and something you can't change either, something Definitely. that, you you know, sort of working with. So even things like you just talk about people compromising, but it'd be things like if you're going ice skating, you can't go. So mm. it'd be about people thinking about how to plan that stuff. And actually as well, now you're becoming somebody who might go on to have long-term relationships and things like that in terms of sort of interpersonal relationships, you have yeah. to think about when you disclose this kind of stuff to people, particularly if you're in like boyfriend, girlfriend, girlfriend, girlfriend relationships, when that stuff comes out, that must be really yeah. hard. I mean, it's bad enough trying to decide what you name a relationship, how you call it, when do you announce it on social media, then when you have to like, do you talk about maybe you might have kids with this person? I mean, that is a lot of pressure for an early 20s relationship, isn't it? That's a nightmare to do. So how do you manage that stuff? Um, just to have a badge on a shape one, just in case it works out? Or? I think it goes back to what I was saying before about kind of being bold and courageous because 
It's a very tricky, it's a very tricky thing to do. I think when it comes to relationships, I always want to be as transparent as possible as early Mm. as possible because Mm. at the end of the day, whoever I'm with, I want them to be with me based on who I am, not Mm. part of who I am or the, Mm. you know, the story or, you know, whatever I've given them, I want it to be the truth, the general whole picture. Mm. Um, So I think with that being said, for me, I always choose with anyone who I feel like I genuinely want to be with and want to be serious and long-term with, I choose mm. from the beginning to just disclose that, you know, I have sickle cell anemia. Um, this is what it is. If you don't know, if you do know, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> But it's such an interesting it's thing, a- isn't it? Because different people have different ideas about, about sort of genetic health issues. Yeah. So some people, I know, I know people with Huntington's, some of whom are really, in a very different mindset they're they're really strict about who they will date because of that and other people who are just like let it's a it's fate if i fall in love with someone i fall in love with them whatever whatever and there are other people who just manage that very differently and there's no right or wrong way because no one knows anybody else's journey but i think it's really important maybe for health professionals to think about the fact that it's something that people are going to want to have a have a thought about how you how you negotiate that, how you negotiate friendships, how you negotiate other intimate relationships, because it matters, doesn't it? It matters how you plan your life and your family, and those things are all going to happen. This is about how it happens. Definitely. Yeah. I think, um, you know, with relationships, it's, it's tricky as well, because if you plan to have a child with someone, you don't want it to be that, let's say you're fortunate enough not to have a crisis with them up until you do have a child. You don't mm. want it to be that when the child is born, they're finding out that their child has sickle cell, you know? So mm. it comes down to, there's a lot of elements to it because you have to first tell the person. Mm. And weirdly enough, a lot of people don't actually know their blood type. Yeah. I guess I know, obviously, because I have sickle cell. I think so. that's weird. Weirdly, they don't even know their yeah, blood type. Yeah, it's weird to me. <laughs> It's actually yeah. weird to me, but We're not I don't judging people today, I know. Each other. <laughs> no, 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 no judging. Just um, a weird fact Some people for me. Are yeah. yeah, yeah. I but I realise that it's because I have sickle cell that I am aware. Mm. I do mm. think if I didn't, I, I most likely wouldn't be aware too. To be fair, but um. You know, some people don't know, which that means if you have a partner who is unaware, you don't have to make that awkward request for them to take the blood test to become aware. And, yeah. you know, if you have a partner who doesn't like needles, <laughs> what do you, where do you go from there? Because now you're you're kind of putting them in a position to be uncomfortable. So it's difficult because you have all of these what can feel like demands, but they're necessary demands because you want to be in the best position to have a family of that person mm. and to ensure that you're equipped mentally, emotionally mm. and physically if you are mm. to bring another child with sickle cell mm. into the world. But then there's mm. also people who may be willing to date you if you have sickle cell, but then if they find out they have sickle cell too, or the trait, which means potentially your child with them could have it, mm. they no longer want to be with you. So there's so many different roots that it could go down mm. and it's like you mm. just have to you have to be flexible mm. and just mm. take it as it comes but yeah it's very it's very tricky it's hard mm. I don't as well think that health professionals give a lot of thought to how they might support people with this I mean you're all so sorted out honestly <laughs> you're more sorted out than I am <laughs> you're terrifying I try to be. in a good way 
Um, but I think, you know, if you're if you're dealing with someone who's 15, 16, maybe you're, you're a children's nurse or you're working in that area, then all of a sudden these are conversations that someone's just having. They just want to run them through. They're not planning on having a baby necessarily, but they just want to think about, you know, when do you have this conversation? How do you talk to people about it? Who am I anyway? All that stuff mm-hmm. is so complicated and it's all bound up together. I think I'm just really... Um, really pleased that you're sort of spending time to talk to us about this. And I think maybe we need to throw to Dave now a little bit to see if he's got any questions or anything coming through from the audience. Yes, we have. We've got a few comments coming through saying how great you are. So that's obviously lovely. Oh, uh, we've got you. Ben saying that he's really enjoying, if that's the right word, the conversation. Uh, and he says thank you to Jodak for taking the time to explain it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ahoena uh, talks about how strong and brave you are to talk about this. Uh, she's constantly anemic, so she can empathise. Uh, and Sidoni uh, says, living with the condition throughout the lifespan can be frustrating. And I really admire your bravery and the ability to manage it. Thank you for sharing your experience. So uh, a fair bit of love from the MHTV audience tonight for you. Uh, for yeah. sharing uh, your 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 story, uh, one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you was you kind of mentioned before about the trickiness, especially of kind of thinking about future plans about you know having children. Is there anyone out there that can kind of help you to deal with that trickiness, or is it very much that you kind of just alone in in that world? I think for me, well, firstly, thank you for all the love. Very much appreciated. (laughs) Um, I think for me, when it comes to managing and thinking about how to go about the tricky conversations, my first point of call would be my mum and my siblings, because of course we've all grown up together with this disease and we've all Mm. kind of seen, of course it's one thing to have sickle cell, but like I said, it can affect people in different ways. So we've seen the impact it's had on one another. And I think we've always been each other's soundboard. So, you know, if I go to my mum and have a conversation, she's able to tell me what she did, what worked for her and what didn't. But then I think it always still goes back to me reflecting on my character and what I want for myself and making that my first point of call in terms of how I then go about my actions. But in terms of like the support within the community, I know there's Sickle Cell Society. Um, They often host workshops, they have their website and they have their contact number. So, you know, it's always helpful to talk to people who can relate. So if I was someone who didn't, you know, with some things you don't want to talk to your close ones because sometimes you don't want to bother them or, you know, they're going through their own stuff or you might just want a whole different perspective. So a team or an organisation, should I say, like Sickle Cell Society can be quite useful. Um, I think my friends as well, because as much as they don't have Sickle Cell, they are very good listeners. They are very good soundboard. So sometimes it does just help to kind of, you know, get things off of my mind. Also, you know, it helps mentally, not just in terms of thinking things through, but for my mental health, it's good to speak to them. And often at times, even if they don't have the advice to give me, they will just assure me that, you know, I am heard and I'm not ridiculous of feeling however I feel. But, you know, you just, they just kind of offer that encouragement um, to keep pushing forward. And if anything, they'll send me links to what they find that could possibly provide a solution to my question or an answer, whatever it may be. Um, But there's also TSS, the sickle cell. No, I don't want to get it wrong. No, oh, see, I'm forgetting what it's called. Don't worry, what we'll do is we'll circle back and we'll tweet that out. So don't worry about that. 
Yes, please. But they, um, I know it was founded by a young man and it's a group of young people who come together, share experiences. They have a group chat where they kind of talk about different medications that have come out maybe or their treatment and experience in hospitals. So, you know, just finding an environment that works for you, where you feel comfortable and you feel good with the people around that you can express yourself and also, you know, also be, sometimes it helps to hear people's experiences so that you realise you're not alone in yours. Because I feel often at times when you're going through something, you can feel very isolated. But if you speak to someone else, you realise they're going through something very similar. And, you know, not that someone else's pain or grief gives you a positive feeling, but it just, it eases your mind in a sense that, okay, I'm not entirely crazy. I'm not kind of mm. being overdramatic. This really is the situation. So, yeah, but... Um, the Sickle Society is definitely a good one. Friends and family always. And then just any other organisations that someone may come across. And I think also stepping outside of your comfort zone, because the one that I'm talking about, TSS, which unfortunately I cannot remember what it stands for at the moment. Um, I actually saw them on Twitter one day and I just realised that they were tweeting out a bunch of stuff. And I did join their group chat and whilst I was there, I did put myself out there a little bit, but I realised it wasn't necessarily for me. So I think having those moments where you try things and figure out what works for you and doesn't is something that is should be encouraged, you know. It's not always a bad thing if something doesn't work for you. It can actually help you realise maybe how fortunate you are or how different you are. And differences can often be a very good thing. So, yeah. Is it the Sound of Sickle initiative about sickle cell? So TSS. That might be it. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Nikki's the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can Google. That's true. <laughs> yeah, the sound of circle. That is it. Okay. That's a really, I mean, it's a, I love that. Because what you're talking about is the importance of like sort of community and connection with something like that. So important. I think you're right. Can you tell me a little bit about what other things you do to manage, you know, when you're in this sort of like really sort of long-term pain? How do you manage that? What sort of things help? Yeah. Um, so obviously, as I said earlier, growing up, I've been I've been able to test the waters and figure out what works for me and what doesn't. So generally, I think the first thing I do is I always stay within my limit. So if I know I've had a very busy week at work, I'm not going to bother go out on the weekend. I'm just going to mm -hmm. up my fluids, up my food intake, and just make sure I get the rest that I need. Um, mm -hmm. There's also things like how I choose to travel. So, you know, Ubers are very expensive, I know, but they do keep me out of the cold, especially in this winter term that is coming. Um, you know, an Uber from point A to point B means that I'm out of the cold from point A to point B. But if I chose to go and get a bus and the bus takes 10 minutes to come, the 10 minutes that I'm waiting is enough for me to feel very sick and I may end up being in bed sick for seven days just because you know I chose to save a bit of money so that's one choice that I make to kind of put money aside for Ubers and make my traveling easier um I think also when I feel the slightest bit of pain coming I'm not someone that generally I don't really like medications which you know might seem a bit weird when I have sickle cell but <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't really like it. But if I feel that I've got some pain coming on immediately, I will take the medication that I need to take. I will jump in bed, get a hot water bottle, turn up my heat in. And thankfully that works for me within about an hour, a few hours, I'll be good to go. Um, what else do I do? 
I think also not being afraid to ask for help when it's needed. So, you know, like I said, fortunately, I have a very good support system in terms of the company I keep, my friends and family. So mm. if ever I am in need of something, I will be quick to ask so that I'm not kind of pushing myself to do it independently, but then also pushing myself further into the crisis. So, yeah, I think, you know, just being accepting of help and being aware of when to ask for help is something that also helps me quite a lot. Mm. I think it's really impressive, actually, how you're so confident about just valuing your own self. You know, that kind of self-love, that self-respect. So there's some things that I'm, I'm not going to do, um, and that's a choice I'm making. And it's just what it is. And I think that's something that, you know, there's, there's still lots of pressure on people, I think, sort of like, sort of make to amend and sort of push through. And like, if you need help, or then somehow you, yeah. you're weak for it. You're not trying hard enough to be well. All that stuff is just nonsense. You know, sometimes we have bodily limits, don't we? And, and knowing and understanding Definitely. is a good thing. It's about knowing who you are. I can see some more stuff coming through then, Dave, if you wanted to um, carry on with questions. Yes, brilliant. Uh, so we've had a question from Sidoni. Uh, any tips for a student nurse on how to plan a care management to deliver a better care for the patients living with the condition? So kind of, you know, if, if you're looking after someone with sickle cell, uh, you know, what kind of things can you do to support them better? I think the first thing I would say um, is, of course, build a good rapport with your patient. So, you know, build a good relationship outside of the nurse to patient relationship, but first human to human, you know, mm. just yeah. just as a normal conversation, normal interaction. Of course, I know there's boundaries within nursing as to what can be discussed, what can be done, but just having that relationship with your patient where they feel like they can trust you, where they can feel comfortable and feel like they can feel comfortable with you beyond the limits of your job because you're acknowledged them as human and not just, you know, a patient that you have to see before you move on to the next. I think that would be the first thing, but also um, including them, as I know NHS encourages it to include your patient in the planning of their care. So to make sure that, you know, their voice is heard and, you know, sometimes their voice today and what they request today may be very different to what they request tomorrow. So just being kind of understanding as to how their situation affects them and maybe understanding that you know on a Monday they might feel a bit more emotionally intact or should I say you'll have better positive mental health and then on the Tuesday they may feel very low so being able to acknowledge that and kind of adapt your approach based on that. Um, I think also getting to know your patient so having a conversation with them generally where it is very open and they can feel comfortable to share with you because, like I said, sickle cell is different for everyone. So it may be that when they're in a crisis, they prefer laying down, but they're always put in a seated position, for example. But if you take the time to have that conversation with them, then you would be aware and then you might be that person that because you've taken the time to understand them from a personal angle and, you know, how they're um situation affects them personally mm. they'll now feel open and more comfortable to discuss more with you you know and I think also as a patient sometimes you don't want to inconvenience the person caring for you so you might be um you might hold back from asking for something that you need or from communicating how you're feeling so I think paying attention to body language 
paying attention to, you know, mm. maybe the tone of their voice or how they're acting, noticing changes in their behavior, because that sort of thing can then help you identify that, okay, something may be wrong or, you know, it might be better if you do something differently. But yeah, I think, I think the best answer when it comes to dealing with your patient is to deal with them based on their identity. So based on what they've shared with you and to make every care plan unique to the patient, I think, yeah, that's that's what I would say. A really good answer. <laughs> Thank you, I try. Yeah, you're doing really well, mate. <laughs> Dave, any more? Uh, well, just to say, Sidoni's uh, already said great, so uh, she agrees that it was a really good answer. Uh, and we've also had uh, Nick Littley, who's the CPD editor at the RCNI. Uh, he has said that he is looking forward to the episode tonight, uh, and they've actually got a uh, an article about sickle cell in the current nursing standard. So uh, just to give them a, a little shout out, although quite quiet because they, you know, they're not in our in our bastion of, of news thing but yeah we'll, we'll we'll give them that bit of publicity uh so that's all the messages so far nikki but i've got my eyes peeled for anyone else that's got anything i, else I to do say, have so. one from oh, one of our on. students who also has sickle cell um and says i hate it <laughs> i hate it is there anything positive about it that, that was basically all i've written <laughs> is it, is oh. it, so maybe has it has it ever I mean, I'm not much for one for thinking, you know, pain is ever, you know, a good thing, a lesson teacher or anything. But I guess everyone's experience is different. I wondered if you had anything to add to that when she's saying, I hate it. Well, I assume it's a she. Mm. Um, I think, you know, I agree. I would say I hate it too. It's, of mm. course, nothing that is pleasant. Mm. But I think... Uh, it's a bit weird to say, but embrace it, you know, because it is a part of who you are. And I think with everything in life, all you can do is embrace it and make it the best for you. So, you know, take the time to nurture yourself, take the time to figure out what works for you, what doesn't. And I think to keep your head up, you know, keep your head up and just always try to strive no matter what it is. So that I think, yeah, it's a bit of a tricky one. I think find things that you can do in your lowest moments that will uplift you. So for me, a few years back, actually, and I haven't done it for a while, but I was having a really, really bad crisis at one point, And I actually wrote a spoken word piece in the middle mm -hmm. of it. Um, I'll put the link in the chat, actually. Yeah, but yeah, okay. so find something that works for you, because that was my outlet. So I was in so much pain and I, I remember it quite well, actually. I think what I had done that day and it was my fault per se. Um, I had been out in the cold for really long. I wasn't wearing enough clothing to keep me warm. And mm -hmm. as soon as I got in, the pain kicked in. But I kicked in in the joints in my feet and my knees the most, which meant I couldn't walk. And it was so bad that I was crawling to the toilet. Mm. And I think for me, when it comes to sickle cell, the thing that's always made me very low is when I'm unable to keep my independence. So mm. I felt so bad in that moment that I was crawling because it was like, what is going on? I'm a full 18 year old you know, I'm a full grown mm -hmm. woman and I'm crawling mm -hmm. on the floor to go to the toilet. But um, 
I came back and I think that's when I started writing the spoken word piece in the notes on my phone. Mm. And when I read it afterwards, I was like, oh my days, this seems a bit a bit dramatic. <laughs> like, what's going on? But um, I realised that, you know what, that was that was my reality. And mm. I kind of took pride in it that, you know, it was my reality, but now I'm past it. Mm. I'm still doing what I need to do. I'm still, you know, I've gone back to uni now. I'm mm. back at my lectures, whatever. I'm catching up with my coursework. So... Yeah, I did that sort of thing. So I think it's kind of trying your best to find the light, even in the darkest of moments. But do keep mm. your head up. Mm. Keep your head up. It does sound like you might be a little bit on your own with this as well. Um, so do do let people know how they can help you, and don't be don't be embarrassed or, or worried about telling people because it's everyone's job, from my perspective, to help you. And it'll be your friends, I'm sure, won't let you down if you if you ask them or let them know how you how you experiencing things at the minute. Then. Or we can talk if you're up for it. I'm happy to give, give my number or you can drop me a message. Yeah, we can contact through MHTV or you can get hold of us fairly easily too, I think. But yeah, thank you for for, for, um, for letting us know how you feel because it's difficult, isn't it, with things like this. Yeah. So I'm looking at some of the things that we said that we'd cover and I think we have had a very wide-ranging conversation. We're heading towards the end of our, our time together already. So um, I just wondered, is there anything from Dave, is there anything you wanted to add before we go around and... and um, start to finish up well i'm just looking i don't think there's been any other messages that i've seen yet but there's quite a few different screens uh but no just you know it's been a, a great conversation hasn't it? uh and i suppose it's, it's one of those where don't be afraid to accept that you don't know much uh and mm. and i think you know referring back to something you said earlier you know if you don't know much be honest about that maybe and, and speak to the person that is living with it uh, and try and kind of understand it much more from from their perspective, and 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 try and get you know that that kind of education yourself, and 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 hopefully you know learn to support people better. I think as well, Nikki mentioned earlier about you know in some areas of the country it might be that you know sickle cell is is a much more prevalent condition, whereas if you travel to other parts of the country it's it's, it's much rarer. So, you know, if, if you are in those areas of the country where it, it's not as prevalent, you know, make sure that you make those links with people that do know what they're doing, what they're talking about, uh, and, and, you know, think about developing your practice in, in this area. And, and I think it fits in really nicely with the, the session that we had two weeks ago, where we had uh, Professor Dame Elizabeth Van Yonwu uh, speak. And obviously she's been such a, a kind of a pioneer and a campaigner around sickle cell. Uh, and, and it's great, isn't it? Because I know one of the comments I made uh, on that session, Nikki, was, you know, how great it is to hear an inspirational nurse that's, you know, kind of had such a long career and and, and done such a lot. Uh, and, and to hear, you know, this week's, you know, Judah, who's obviously much younger than I am, you know, be inspirational and speak really well as, as well. <laughs> so uh, it, it's kind of nice to have those two yeah. kind of, you know, parts of the, the journey in a way, isn't it? And, uh, and and you know the, the the real kind of confidence in in you know that there's people out there that are so articulate and mm. you know really really good at sort of supporting you know others around uh, this this issue. So that, that those are probably my thoughts, uh, Nikki. Mm. Fantastic, Gerald. Is there anything you'd like to to leave us with in terms of things you've been thinking about, or wanted to say? I think um, I would just say be kind, you know, if you're someone living with sickle cell, be kind to yourself, you know, take it day by day, keep your head up. And I also think if you're someone working with, you know, patients who have sickle cell, be kind, you know, be considerate of the fact that 
this is something they have lifelong and it's not easy to deal with. So even if they may not portray themselves in the best way at all times, be considerate, be empathetic. Um, also be kind to yourself as a carer. If you make a mistake, you know, don't be afraid to just apologize, move on from it, educate yourself and, you know, just keep going. So yeah, be kind and hopefully everyone can see the light even in the darkest of moments. I don't think anyone's going to top that, so we should probably finish. <laughs> so thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate your sort of open-heartedness around this. It's been really interesting, and I think a really important question for, to be asked and a really important thing for people to think about in terms of all long-term health conditions as well. So thank you again. You've been a fantastic guest. Thanks. Good night, everybody.